Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. How should people who say they're pro-life respond to pro-abortion laws in Illinois? How should employees react to LGBT mandates in the workplace? These are some of the questions that Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. Robert Gagnon answered during the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. We're highlighting that Q&A during this edition of Spotlight about Dr. Brown. He's the founder and president of the Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. He's the host of the daily, nationally syndicated radio show, The Line of Fire. Dr. Gagnon is professor of New Testament theology at Houston Baptist University. He's one of the most authoritative voices in America on making the case against homosexual behavior. Now, here's the first question from the IFI 2020 Worldview Conference. Dr. Brown, we have the most extreme pro-abortion law in the nation right here in Illinois. An unborn baby has no rights in Illinois now, and now they're going after parental notice. For pro-life people, what's our step forward? Well, the first thing, get involved where you can in pro-life work. Changing the laws is a long haul, and even if Roe v. Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court at some point, you're going to bounce things back to the states. You can immediately get involved in pro-life work. In the city of Charlotte, it's documented now that over the years now, hundreds and hundreds, I don't have the exact number, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of babies have been saved. And you can document the kids today and where they are. Uh, There are a number of ministries that work together. Some are in front of uh, abortion clinics sharing the gospel. Some open crisis clinics where people can be referred and given other options. Others work with adoption. Others work for baby showers for children and things like that. Look up Love Life Charlotte, and then you'll find out this is now being expanded to to other cities. So a number of ministries have worked together, now bringing dozens and dozens of churches together. Now we have the testimonies of the former abortion clinic workers and things like that coming to faith. So start where you can, and then on the legislative issue, I mean, that's a much more massive battle but you have to do your best systematically to, to vote for pro-life people on, on every level uh, until the shift comes. But there's an immediate thing that we can do, and there are many effective ministries really making an impact by working with many different churches together. So it's a burden that can be shared, and, and we have the fruit. When we have the big rallies with several thousand people every year, it's amazing to hear the testimonies and to get the pictures of the lives changed. Thank you. You have a question, sir? Yes. I'm a high school health teacher here in Illinois, and we also, we just were in our sex ed unit and different things like that. We have transgender kids in our class. We have kids from all over. So all the sensitive topics that you guys talk about, what are some maybe good ways to maybe, as a Christian, bring it into the public school, maybe without technically talking about Jesus, but maybe the effects or positive things with talking to these kids about these topics? Of course, there, uh, Jesus is... Uh still has influence even outside the Christian circles. People do regard him as a moral teacher, so he's still somebody to cite. And you'll still see occasionally attempts in the Washington Post or the New York Times to try to get Jesus on the side. Uh, Of course, it's very bad exegesis, but on the side of the LGBTQ lobby, which is absurd historically, but they at least make the effort. 
uh, which shows its significance. But beyond that, you can also make arguments. There are two kinds of arguments you could use beyond a religious argument. One would be a philosophical argument, and the other would be a science-based argument. With a philosophical argument, which is namely, think about the dynamic of what's unusual about being attracted to the essence of your own sexuality. Males for essential maleness, females for essential femaleness. And what that suggests about a, a lack of a sense of gender completion, needing to rectify that apparent uh, percepted uh, de deficit through union with somebody of the same sex. And then you can see that philosophically, that's problematic, not only from that standpoint, but also from the standpoint analogically, that you could relate it to then, well, if, you don't, if, you, if you're going to support homosexual unions that are consenting, committed, adult, why aren't you doing that for incest? Why aren't you doing that for polyamory? Both of which are logically related to the issue of homosexual practice, with homosexual practice being the more severe offense. So you can make a philosophical argument that ends up being absolute, but of course, in terms of the data, you, don't have, you can get an argument from science. And here's the argument that I would use from science. It's not an absolute argument, but it's a scientifically verifiable argument. So what I'd argue is the combination of the two, the science and the philosophy, will get you there. Along with still, never leave Jesus out. I always want to put him in, no matter what context you're working in, even in school setting, if only for philosophical moral value. In the terms of the science argument, the key argument is to look at differences between male homosexual and female homosexual relationships and the harms that accrue to each. There's a disproportionately high rate of measurable harm in homosexual unions, but they differ in type and degree between male homosexual unions and female homosexual unions. They actually correspond to expected patterns of male-female differences, right? If I were to tell you between female and male homosexual relationships, which one do you think has the greater number of sex partners over the course of life? This is a real tough one. That it's men, <laughs> they once did a study, cross-cultural study, they interviewed people, first world, third world, industrial societies, tribal societies, 20,000 people surveyed, came to the astounding conclusion that men find monogamy more difficult than, than women. To which I say, what would we do without experts? These are your tax dollars working hard for you. They could have called me on the phone and I could have told them that. And same thing with the percentage of uh, sexually transmitted infection rates, much higher in male homosexual unions than female homosexual unions. And that all corresponds exactly to what we would expect among men. But for women, uh, you have actually lower longevity on average of the sexual union than for even male homo and in relation to even male homosexual unions. That seems counterintuitive because it's more monogamous, but the reason appears to be related to the fact that women simply invest more of themselves in the relationship and have higher expectations in terms of needs for security and significance. And that means when you have two people with the same extraordinarily high expectations, getting together in a sexual union, you're putting inordinate stress on the relationship, which leads to higher relational turnover. There's also a greater incidence of mental health complications associated with such relationships, which also fit the fact that women are just in general more in touch with their feelings and have a higher social IQ than generally men do, and it works itself negatively out in the lesbian relationships in a way that it doesn't quite to the same degree 
do so for male homosexual relationships. So they actually follow a pattern that's predictable based on male-female differences, which is a good indication then why two different sexes should be involved in the union so that the extremes are moderated and the gaps filled. And Dr. Brown wanted to wait. Yeah, just, and very quickly, three little practical things. Uh, one is wherever you can push back, you push back. So if you see extreme sex ed curriculum and things like that, you can talk to the school about it. Obviously, you can't just be activists recruiting parents, but you can encourage parents to take stands. Secondly, there's a case right now that the Alliance Defending Freedom is backing for about 50 girls in, in different Chicago schools that were traumatized by transgender issues, you know, boys in, in, in the bathroom or playing on the same teams and things like that. So there's an actual court case, and there's some states now that are passing laws against that. So within the school system, where you see these things happening, you, you find out what can you do, talk to the uh, Christian attorneys. And then the other thing is, you can't have Bible clubs after school. So, of course, you know all this, but there's always the ability to say, let's encourage kids to get together. And, and if the school has any other club meeting, they have to have that to meet as well. So you can still encourage that faith outside of the normal classroom hours. What's the best way to make a case against intentional childlessness? Well, there you go. The uh, text in Genesis 128 is a good one to, to work with. I think in general, yes, God does want us if you're... Uh, a male and a female and you're getting married and you have the capacity to procreate, that there are no medical reasons why that that can't happen, then I think that should be the predisposing element. If you really don't want to be having children, then consider celibacy, uh, which is what Jesus did. And he said, not everybody is bound by this because not everybody has been given the ability by God to be that. That would be my recommendation. But I don't see childlessness intentional, as you put it, childlessness is on this, nearly on the same level as the issue of homosexual practice and transgenderism. That's much, much, much lower down the line, in my opinion. What's your take, Dr. Brown? I think we can just look at the larger culture and recognize that children are less esteemed, uh, children are less important, couples getting married much later, and then the thought of having children comes much later. So I think if we can just help to address the larger gift and the wonder of this and, and, and what a blessing it is. Uh, in many countries in Europe, it, if you have more than one kid, you're looked at in an unusual way. So this is creating a crisis because there needs to be a certain amount of, of children, basically 2.1 children born for each woman aged 18 to 44 just to sustain a society. And many countries now are dipping well below that so you can't actually sustain. I mean, in, in Japan, it's more and more common to have robots caring for old people for the elderly, you know, to, to do, serve them in different ways just because you don't have the, the sufficient reproduction. So somehow we have to recover the larger culture of life. And I'm not, I'm not condemning a couple that gets married later and, and has one child or something like that, but simply to change our larger focus in society, I think, is a big issue. Not to mention the absence of a good tax base to pay for our social security, yes, exactly. which you're not going to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but I also add parenthetically, my wife and I uh, were, you know, postponed having children while I was in school. We weren't going to reject having it. We're just postponing it because the thought of having children while I was still in the PhD program scared the life out of me. I wanted to be able to provide for my children, which I was not able to do until I could get out of the program. So we postponed it. And then when I was out of the program and I had a position, then we weren't having any success having children. And every year we're hearing reports from the doctor. And finally, one 
doctor does a test of me, and he says, Dr. Gagnon, knowing what I do, he said, I, you know, I hate to break the news to you, I wouldn't say a virgin birth is required, but I would recommend adoption for you based on these tests. And then three months later, we conceived. Yes. And I, so I thank the doctor for that. And I would say parenthetically that if you, you're not inclined to have children, all I can say is just try it. Try one. When you see the life produced, well, I'll never forget when the doctor lifted up my now older child, Cars. It was an unbelievable experience. It's just nothing like it. I mean, yes, maybe my conversion to the Lord. Okay. Uh, and marriage to my wife. Okay. And then <laughs> getting my orders. Priorities in place here, because this is not film, right? So, um, but number three, having your child. It's a great blessing, great responsibility, but an extraordinary blessing. Dr. Robert Gagnon and Dr. Michael Brown during the question and answer time at the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference. More after this. Apparently, it really is rocket science. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. Recently, NASA announced, in addition to the International Space Station, a $23 million universal waste management system, arguably the most expensive toilet in the universe. Not only does the toilet feature easier maintenance and 3D-printed corrosion-resistant pipes, it makes it easier for female astronauts to use the bathroom in space. Apparently, the facilities at the International Space Station were built with men in mind, but for reasons now obvious to NASA and the rest of humanity until yesterday, men and women have different needs when it comes to certain activities. After consulting women astronauts, NASA redesigned the system for future missions, even perhaps a return to the moon. As one NASA official put it, when the astronauts have to go, we want to allow them to boldly go. For years, I've said that recognizing the biological realities of male and female ain't rocket science, you know, and I apologize for that. Apparently, it is rocket science. I'm John Stumstreet. During this portion of Illinois Family Spotlight, Dr. Robert Gagnon and Dr. Michael Brown weigh in on religious freedom, the November election, and other issues. Their responses are from the Q&A time during the recent IFI Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. Your question. Two years ago, HR had LGBTQ training uh, nationally promoted, and in that promotion of uh, the training, you know, it actually had examples against Christianity and sharing your faith. The other scenario is, uh, which is current, which is a much larger company, they have a pride community, and you can't speak against them right now in any form because it would be scandalous and you'd be rejected. And it seems like nationally that you're seeing two things like this going on. People are facing really difficult challenges in the workplace now. Uh, and as I said, if the so-called Equality Act gets passed, it's, you've, you've seen nothing yet. Uh, it's going to be a full-blown indoctrination in the workplace, a checking of your social media, to and with whom you associate, what churches you belong to, etc., and what their beliefs are. It's going to get getting extremely draconian. And of course, mandatory speech is not enough for you just to avoid saying something. You are, in the case of transgender co-workers, so-called transgender, you will, you will be required to use their preferred pronoun and names on penalty otherwise of being fired, terminated from your position. So you have to resolve ahead of time what you're going to do in that episode. And I understand it's a very difficult challenge. For me, I couldn't do it. 
because it would be a blasphemous lie for me to say what they would be compelling me to do. If Christians just roll over like sheep, then the worst will happen. I'm not saying that the best will happen if we don't roll over with sheep. Look what happened to Jesus. He was crucified, but he was raised from the dead. Let's not forget this part two. And even the crucifixion was the greatest act in human history mm -hmm. where the power of God, even more so than in the resurrection, was demonstrated as well as the love of God. I mean, that's much of Paul's, that's little Pauline theology 101 right there. So regardless of what the consequences are of us doing what we do uh, in the workplace, we need to honor the Lord in whatever setting we're in and say, look, you know, we can be as nice about it as possible, loving as possible about it. I'm not trying to hurt anybody or make anyone feel unsafe. These are my convictions and these are my beliefs. I can't blaspheme my God. But in the end, I think you have to resolve whether or not you'll be faithful in the workplace. I wish I could say things are gonna get better. They're not gonna get better. We have to vote accordingly now because every step of the way, not just your job, but for your children, their education and upbringing in society before that, they will be even more pressured because that's all they're going to get from the get-go. So we're in a tough place, and God is asking us to be faithful. There have been tougher circumstances in life, like the Maccabean Revolt, right? Yeah. In terms of people laying down their lives for the gospel, one of the graduates from our ministry school, you know, spiritual son, I remember when he and his wife were driving me to the airport saying they felt called to the Middle East to reach the, uh, the Muslim world and so on, and, and they went, can't even mention the country where they were because we're still working there, but they went with other couples and, and uh, he was killed by Al-Qaeda terrorists for sharing the gospel. But they knew going in what could happen. Here's a married man with, with two children. So what's being asked of us is, is, is more minor in that respect. But the principle, if you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for the gospel, you find it. And if, if I knew, for example, that I could just sit the thing out, wait for the storm to pass, kind of hold back, that'd be one thing. You know, then, then I might be more tempted to, to just lay back. But the fact is, it's, again, each step that we take leads to another step being taken. And the goalposts will keep moving. Think of, of the book of Esther with Haman and Mordecai. So everyone had to bow down to Haman, and everyone did. Mordecai wouldn't. And Haman was not satisfied until Mordecai bowed down. That's the way it's going to be. The gay activists are pushing now just for other churches to start going in to say, hey, we want you to marry us. And if you say no, then they're going to they're push. They're going to agitate because they know that has to keep coming. So if we keep retreating, we go in a corner. In a corner, we become completely irrelevant and we dishonor the Lord. So we really have no choice but to do what's right. But in, in many cases, we have more legal rights than we realize. I was about to, to speak at one college and it's very difficult to get me in in places because there's uproar and protests and people don't want to have it. So there were protests the day before and there was the possibility of the event being canceled. And then the next thing, we get this lovely welcome from administration at the school. Well, the difference was that overnight, the Alliance Defending Freedom sent them a very clear letter saying you have no right to keep this man out. We're very happy to have you on our campus. Uh, we know of schools. One of my uh, former students is a high school teacher and he went ahead with sponsoring a Bible club after class and the principal said, you cannot have this, we're shutting the whole thing down. And they sent a very firm letter to him, you are against the law, against the Constitution. And they, they didn't like it, but they had it back down. So many times we, we, have, we have rights, but if we get fired, we get fired. You know, it's unfortunate, but we have to honor the Lord and trust him. Your question, ma'am. 
Can you recommend some churches that are ministering to the transgender community that is ready to hear about Jesus and also the homosexual ministry? I would recommend Restored Hope Network, not a church, but an umbrella organization for groups that do reach out to persons with same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria to help them. And in particular, over the question of transgenderism, I'm a member of a board uh, of the board of a group called uh, Help for Families that's uh, led by Denise Schick, who experienced a father who is trying to transition into being a woman and her experience growing up under that. And she ministers to families in that situation. So those are two that I would recommend. Yeah, those, those were my two as well. So the website help, the number four, helpforfamilies.com and then RestoredHopeNetwork.org, right? I think so. There are churches I work with across the country, I'm not thinking of names off the top of my head, but I preach for and minister to, and, and they've had vibrant ministries helping people with all aspects of sexual brokenness. David Foster with Pure Passion Ministries has helped. So if, if you reach out to some of these uh, organizations, they can also refer you to churches. Some of them just have a larger rubric of sexual brokenness and, and minister to people from, from all different backgrounds. Some just have it as part of their ongoing discipleship, that everyone comes in broken and needing help and wholeness, and others really specialize in homosexual and transgender ministry, and they've been very, very effective. One of the key things, though, to remember is that you don't try to convert someone from homosexuality to heterosexuality. You try to convert them from homosexuality to holiness. In, in other words, the goal is to know the Lord and to grow in the Lord in, in holiness of, of life, as opposed to thinking, boy, this guy, he's gay, but my sister, she's a knock-on, she's not married. Boy, if he, they just hook them up, it'll cure him of his heterosexuality. That produces frustration for everyone. So what we want to do is holistically make disciples and then understand that there might be certain key areas of commonality and ministry and need that you can, you can minister into. But there, there are Christian psychologists and psychologists uh, and there are these ministry organizations that have great resources as well. Right, renewing the mind might uh, reduce the intensity of desires. In some cases, it may largely alleviate them. In other cases, it may not actually change the desires at all, but we're still compelled to obedience, and that's when the angels of God especially rejoice. I get no special kudos from God for not acting out in same-sex sexual relationships because I don't experience any particular desire to do it. But those who do, and haven't rid themselves of that desire, despite their obedience to the Lord, are honored by the angels in heaven and by God. I mean, that's praiseworthy and commendable. With technology now, you know, reaching our young people, are there resources for our children and our teens? There's an excellent book by Tom Gilson, G-I-L-S-O-N, about talking through these difficult issues with your children. So specifically, conversations about homosexuality with your children by Tom Gilson, very, very solid and sound. Also, Sean McDowell has some good material that would be helpful. And Alex McFarland are just a few names of some apologists that have some very helpful material in these areas. As far as specific internet-related sites or social media, I'm not sure of some that are specifically de devoted to young people in these areas, but probably needs to be developed. Well, what are your websites? www.robgagnon.net, although I need to find somebody to help me to revamp this whole site, which is basically from the Stone Age. So if you know good, yeah, and askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Okay. Right. My question here is, 
last two years after President Trump abolished the Johnson Amendment, um, do you see any um, significant transformation among churches? So I don't think anybody's doing anything differently yet. I commend him for doing it. He kept his word and has stood up for, for freedom of, of religion for evangelicals and others. Uh, but I don't think there's been much of a shift because actually we could, we could do pretty much what we needed to do. The IRS never really persecuted or prosecuted over this. I think we still need the more of the change of heart and mind to just be more vocal and bold. So I'm not aware of a, of a sea shift or sea change because he did this, because the biggest issue is in us, not with the IRS, frankly. Right. But expect if a Democrat gets elected, they will push to remove the yep. church tax-exempt status, whether or not you've been speaking out on the issue or not. Exactly. That won't matter to them. So you might as well speak out anyway. Exactly. Well, let me get to this question. What's at stake for believers in the 2020 election? The Quality Act stuff, there's a tremendous amount at stake from the vantage point there in every aspect and area of your life. It will reach you. It will touch you. It will affect your existence. It will affect your children's existence, worst of all. And that's not even mentioning the fact that the, both the Senate, uh, the Senate was unable to pass an anti-infanticide bill, which the media, left-wing media, presented as an anti-abortion bill, but it, the baby's already out of the womb. It's not an anti-abortion bill. It's an anti-infanticide bill. And yet, I won't tell you which party, but a certain party prevented it from being passed. So clearly, you don't want to support that kind of thing. I can't think of anything much more heinous than that when you can't even draw a clear line against infanticide. But this is the logic of abortion uh, because you want to have full rights as parents to do whatever you want if children are inconvenient to you. So if those two issues aren't enough, then you can think about religious freedom, you can think about free speech, you can think about judicial appointments. And if those five things aren't enough, I don't know what else to tell you. Look, the church has to be the church, and we have to pray for revival and awakening and reformation. So the Trump presidency is kind of like a wedge in the door to just keep things open. In other words, we can't rely on the White House or the president to be the agents of moral and cultural change. So they're going to do what they do. We have to do what we do all the more urgently. But let's say Joe Biden is, is elected. Uh, he said that transgender equality is the civil rights issue of, of our day. The Democrat standards today are not what they were in the days of Bill Clinton, talking about abortion being safe, legal, and rare. There's been a dramatic, dramatic shift that we find ourselves in. But the key thing is that the church must act with urgency all the time because the cultural crisis is grave. So whoever's elected, uh, if we have that ongoing wedge in the door, stopping certainly these things from happening with President Trump and over 190 judicial appointees, which is, I mean, massive, absolutely massive. But we've got to be diligent to foster awakening and moral cultural change. Dr. Michael Brown and Dr. Robert Gagnon during the Illinois Family Institute's 2020 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. A word about the election. Pray for a safe and fair election. Pray for the election of candidates who support biblical values. Before you vote, view the IFI Nonpartisan Voter Guide online. Go to IllinoisFamily.org and visit IllinoisFamily.org for other election resources. Please support the work of IFI. All donations are tax-deductible. Also, subscribe to the IFI YouTube channel for valuable video reports and information. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay safe, stay active, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org. 
and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.